seven. Welcome aboard. It is the TD Club. I am Sean Curtis at Sean Curtis four three zero. Mike Mastovich is across the table from me. At Masty eighty one is where you can find him on Twitter. And we're in, we're in deep. We are in a great part of the season because now you're starting to see things materialize a little bit more than what you did even like last week or the week before that. And week six, we'll recap some of that action here. Some absolute bangers. First off, Pencambria Bedford, 27 to 28. Pencambria went. The Panthers are undefeated. The Bisons now have a loss. Mike, you were there. What what happened? What did you learn? Uh, excellent game. It was a great game. Star power, big plays from the playmakers. Uh, Ethan Weber of Bedford, just unbelievable with touchdown runs at 9, 55, and 86 yards in the first half. Uh, Garrett Harold and Zach Grove for Penn Cambria, phenomenal. Uh, Harold on both sides of the ball. Grove, uh, as Coach Nick Felis talked about, became, you know, he's their closer. Second half, he's the guy you give the ball to, and he churns out the yards and the clock. Vinnie Churden, Gavin Harold, big plays from them. Penn Cambria led 21 20 at halftime. The teams were trading scores. Uh, the Panthers capitalized on a couple Bedford fumbles. And then uh, in the second half, Penn Cambria defensive adjustments. As I said, Weber in that first half with those three touchdowns, one of them was absolutely amazing. 55 yards, he hurtled a defender and then dashed to the end zone. The other one was 86-yard, one-play drive. Well, in the second half, the Panthers shut down uh, the Bisons, shut them out, a potent Bisons offense, uh, and Bedford loses for the first time, 5-1. and one. So um, just amazing effort by both teams in this game. Uh, even though the Panthers shut out Bedford in that second half, Bedford drove a couple times and Penn Cambria would step up and make a stop. So it was just one of those games you're kind of uh, the old cliche on the edge of your seat, just waiting to see who's going to come out on top. A game that was not quite as tense, but it's going to set up a big matchup in Week 7. Richland, 58, Greater Johnstown, 7. I, You're going to look at this and go, well, Richland dominated throughout, but there were some hiccups by the Rams and some good things by the Trojans, but ultimately Richland proved to be too strong. Yeah, Richland, they just continue to forge ahead. Early in the season, I was at Central when the Rams lost uh, Graydon Lewis, just a, a versatile uh, back who could you know, run a great sprinter-type speed and uh, complimented Evan McCracken. Uh, they lost him for the season earlier, uh, Brock Batchy, uh, one of their key linemen, both on offense and defense, gone for the season. And the next man up mentality has kind of been evident. I mean, it started even uh, without injury. Sam Penna had to step in for a uh, three-and-a-half-year starter at quarterback with uh, Kellen Stahl going on to the college ranks. So Richland has just kind of maintained and built on that foundation, a winning foundation. You know, you have Evan McCracken ranks 10th in the area in rushing. Penna's fourth in passing. And Austin Yarnick ranks seventh in receiving. So they got guys on offense that are making the plays, and their defense has um, been stout, to say the least, and just, uh, you know, continue to roll. Portage was a 28-25 winner over Homer Center. This was a nip-and-tuck game, very important game in the Heritage Conference. And now Portage has a little bit of breathing room in terms of qualifying for the 6-1A playoffs. Right now, if the playoffs were to start today, I hate that phrase, but just for – you know, just for a little bit of a insight here, the Mustangs would be fifth right now. They would actually be looking at Northern Cambria in the first round. So it's going to be a team, you know, they're going to see in the Heritage Conference. You know, now it's it's getting to be that time. But this one, 
by all accounts, felt like a playoff game. Yeah, Portage, they were coming off a very tough loss to United Valley. That was the, the Lions' uh, first win of the season. I'm sure – I mean, you go in thinking you're going to win every game, but I'm sure Portage went there thinking we're the favorite team. We're going to win this game. They come out with a heartbreaking loss. Great win for United Valley. So what do you, you do next week? You're playing at Homer Center, which is the, the conference coach's preseason pick to win the Heritage. So that's uh, you know no easy task, even though the Wildcats have uh, had a couple stumbles along the way. So Isaac Jabina scored four touchdowns, including a two-yard run with just 27 seconds left, and Portage has a comeback victory over the Wildcats, and that's exactly what they needed to do after a tough setback to United Valley. Another game that could possibly be deemed a playoff preview, and if this is a preview, yikes. Northern Bedford County, 56, Conemaw Township, 8, and this was a Conemaw Township offense that seemed to be humming on all cylinders. What happened? Well, two 5-0 and teams, and as you said, two District 5 front runners. but it didn't shape up as that battle that we might have expected. Uh, one of the reasons is Township lost uh, four-year starting quarterback Tanner Shirley to injury in the first quarter. Uh, th- so you're out without the area's leading passer. He had 1,248 passing yards going into that game, threw four incomplete passes before he was injured. So uh, he still leads the area, but he, he – uh, Obviously wasn't in the lineup. So the area's leading receiver, John Updike, moved to quarterback. Now, anybody that followed football uh, knows that Johnny Updike is the former greater Johnstown quarterback who uh, started as a freshman at Johnstown and played a few games into his sophomore season before uh, moving over to Connemal Township. So John Updike is an experienced quarterback. He goes in the game. But Northern Bedford, just too much uh, for, for the Indians. They, they never really recovered. Uh, they did seem to pick up a little momentum. Ethan Black runs back a kickoff 90-some yards for a touchdown and runs the, uh, gets the two-point conversion. So, you, you know, the, you're thinking, okay, there's eight points. Uh, uh, and then with only a couple minutes left in the first half, Northern Bedford scores again and just kind of took all the air out and the, it ended up being a 56-point, uh, you know, scored by, by the Pan- Black Panthers against the Indians. Roland Brothers Valley keeping that shutout streak going. 47-0 winner over Brownsville. And this one, actually it was 57-0, was not even close. Um, 41 points by the Mountaineers in that first quarter. And that machine keeps rolling. Mike, you actually had a chance to talk to Doug Paul earlier this week. I What insight did he give you as to why this defense and why the Mountaineers just aren't allowing points? Yeah, a couple things. Well, it's Right now, it's up to 245 to nothing. Six straight shutouts to open the season. Uh, as you noted in the story last week, Berlin is making history. The first time since 1987 that a Berlin team has, has had six shutout wins in a row. Uh, Doug talked about uh, it's starting up with their defensive ends, and he talked about these guys when we were doing the preview for the Wimber game a couple weeks ago. Holby McLucas. Cooper Houston at defensive end, just they are physical, they are fast, strong, and Doug said they are mean. So those are two guys that start things rolling. Then you got Cody Kimmel at linebacker, and uh, Coach Paul said that he's coming up to that level where he's one of the best linebackers Coach Paul has coached in his 21 years. Then, of course, uh, in the defensive backfield, you got Pace Prosser, who's the quarterback on offense. Might as well say he's the quarterback on defense. Uh, Caleb Lores, Doug's exact words, where he plays safety like a linebacker. Then you've got 
cornerbacks, veterans, Ryan Blueball and Will Latou. And uh, that's a heck of a defense. Uh, Dante Paul, your defensive coordinator, former All-State player for Berlin and was a heck of a defensive player, uh, as we recognized in the Tribune Democrat the year that uh, he was a senior. So um, those are just a few reasons why all the shutups, shutouts keep piling up. Uh, Doug said, hey, it's nice. We want to keep that streak going. They know it's going to end sometime, but uh, they also are looking for a, a challenge because his, in my uh, column this week he said that, as Matt Grohall said last year frequently, when you're only playing your starters for a half or a little bit into the third quarter because you want to be a good sportsman, you don't want to kill the other team. Uh, so that isn't good for down the road when you're playing, say you get uh, the, the Clareton teams of old. You know, you don't want to be playing them with guys who aren't used to playing a whole football game. So uh, Doug Paul was saying that you know, this is the time of year now you're going to have to start leaving these guys in regardless of what the score is at least a little longer than before. And then as you wind up the season, these guys are probably going to be playing four quarters uh, regardless of how bad it is. But we'll see. Now jumping up to week seven. We're leading with strength here because another big Laurel Highlands athletic conference game, Bedford, now 5-1, and one, Richland 6-0. and oh, And – this could go a long way in not only determining who is going to possibly be on top of the El Hack heap, but also in playoff jumbles. And we'll get into at least kind of recapping where things stand in the playoffs right now a little later on. But this is important on a number of reasons. And plus, it's just going to be a darn good football game. Yeah, two traditional powers here, uh, Bedford and Richland. They're both in a difficult stretch. As we said, Bedford played at Pencambria last week, and Richland has Pencambria coming up. So, um, you know, the, you're playing a super tough game, and then you go right on to another one. So uh, the Bisons, as you said, lost for the first time at Pencambria. Now you go to Richland. Uh, you know, this is just another marquee Laurel Highlands matchup. And uh, both teams have playmakers. We talked about Evan McCracken, we, Sam Penn. Who runs like a deer. Yeah. And, and then you have, you know, Ethan Weber was another guy. I mean, I, I covered these guys in track, too. They were both – they were great sprinters along with Ethan Black at Connemouth Township, who was a double state champion. So th those are three guys from our area that are, you know, just sprinters in track. So you got th those people making plays on both sides uh, of this game. You have excellent line play from both squads. And you've got strong defenses on both squads. Uh, Bedford has won the past two meetings. I've covered both of those games. They were both, um, you know, games that went down to the wire uh, last year at Bedford. A great uh, ending. Richland uh, was within striking distance to to score a touchdown uh, on the closing drive, and they they got within sight of the goal. And the clock was running. I think they were out of timeouts, but they had to do it on the run basically. And and I think it was like a uh, fading type pass, and it just got battered away by a Bedford guy or fell short. But either way, Richland came up a little bit short right at, 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 as the time ran out last year. And the year before, Richland was a heck of a game as well. Uh, so during the COVID year, uh, that was one of the first games where a couple fans were allowed in. I remember that. So, um, yeah, you just expect a, a great game when these two teams play. Um, they, you know, rarely in recent times have either one had uh, you know terrible stretches or down years, so good teams. And the thing is, you're looking at two teams that suffered heavy graduation losses from the 2021 season to now, and you can't really tell. Yeah, that's a testament to 
the head coaches, to the coaching staff, and to the culture of the programs. I, I remember Brandon Bailey when we were talking about how much that line they had last year was, you know, everybody talked about how great the line was. They lost a lot of it, but he said, you know, the guys were waiting their turns. There were some people waiting in the wings last year that could have been starters on other teams. Uh, and when your team advances as far as those guys do to play like a Southern Columbia, you know, guys are getting some extra playing time in games that might be one-sided or you're getting postseason practices. So that helps. Bedford, same situation. I mean, a couple of years ago they are playing in uh, deep in the state playoffs, Central Valley, and, uh, you know, uh, every year they've, they've won the sub-regional four years in a row. Uh, so they're playing deep in this season. you got a lot of guys getting playing time, a lot of guys getting practice into deep November, you know. So you're, uh, even though you lose a lot, you still have guys that have some experience and you've got a culture of winning at your respective programs. Over to the Heritage Conference, two pretty pretty important Heritage Conference games that we'll talk about. Penn's Manor is at Portage. The Comets are unbeaten. They're 6-0. Portage is 4-2. This has playoff implications. And also, if you're Portage and you have any hope of possibly sharing or winning the Heritage Conference title, you need this win. And if you're Penn's Manor, if you can hold off Portage, you only have one big challenge remaining in the Heritage Conference schedule, and that's Cambria Heights, who is right behind you not only in the Heritage Conference standings at 5-1, and one, but also in the District 6 standings in Class Single A. So here, here's a case. This is a very important game, and Penn's Manor looked darn good last week against Northern Cambria. Yeah, Penn's Manor uh, having a great year. Another big test for Portage. Uh, undefeated Penn's Manor, three shutouts. They've only allowed 34 points in six weeks. That's 215 to 34 cumulative advantage. A big 40 to 14 win over a good Northern Cambria team last week. So the Comets, they're they're rolling. As we talked about Portage, they're one of those teams that, uh, you know, they're just going to give you their best every week, and uh, things might not be going well, but they're going to keep fighting and, you know, come up with a last-second touchdown at home or center to win. Um, so that's the kind of thing you expect out of Portage. You got Andrew Miko, an experienced quarterback among the passing leaders. You got other playmakers, and Portage always, um, you know, deadly on the ground. Uh, their ground game, their line's always good. They, they you know, they run that wing T. So, um, you know, they'll be up to the challenge. This ought to be a very telling week for both the Comets and the Mustangs. Homer Center is at Cambria Heights. We talked about the Highlanders, 5-1. and one. They had that week one loss against Northern Cambria. Since then, they have rolled through the schedule. Big win last week over United Valley. Homer Center, 3-3. Three and three. Still very much in the thick of things for the District 6-1A playoffs. But maybe that ship has sailed for a Heritage Conference title. But there's got to be revenge on the line of the Wildcats because last year, Cambria Heights, first game in the Heritage Conference was Homer Center. And it was an absolute doozy. Yeah, and when you have a coach like Greg Page, just uh, comes from the, you know the Jerry Page coaching tree because it's his dad, Laurel Valley grad. Yeah, you know that you're going to get you know a team that's ready, a team that's uh, determined, and whenever you have an added purpose like this, uh, you know I think with uh, Homer Center losing three times in six weeks, that's a big surprise for a lot of people, and I'm sure for them especially. So I think they are going to have extra motivation, as you said. There's not much room to lose a, another game or two, especially. So I, I think they're going to be fired up. And uh, Cambria Heights, man, look at what they've done. As you said, you lose in week two to Portage and then roll back with four straight wins. Um, you know, they, they have uh, 
just produced. You, you've got so many guys on their team that are among the leaders, like Tanner Tribus and uh, Ty Stockley, both on offense and defense. So, um, you know, that's, there's another marquee game and not much room for error in this one. North Star is at Berlin Brothers Valley. A little Westpac shout-out here. And, again, we talked about the Mountaineers. Have not allowed a point in 2022. This is a challenge for North Star. This is also rarefied air for the Mountaineers because they pitched six straight shutouts in 1987. That was an 11-1 team, won the District 5 title, came up a little short in the Appalachian Bowl against United. But from Week 4 to Week 9, nobody was finding any kind of points against Berlin Brothers Valley, be it Laurel Valley, be it Conemaugh Valley, be it Shade, be it Turkeyfoot Valley, and I believe... I, I think Black Lake Valley was the other team. Yes, it was, yeah. You know, and there, there's another team that I'm forgetting. And North Star, I believe. Yes. And so you go back to that 87 team. And that, when I sp- spoke with Doug Paul on the phone last week after their game in Brownsville, you know, he mentioned that team because I asked him, hey, do you remember anything like this happening, going through six games, be it at any point in the season where you just had not allowed a point? And he had immediately said, I believe the 1987 team had a similar run. Looked back in the archives, there it was. Yeah, and that was Coach Rick, Rich Renzi was the coach of that team. Um, and then after they lost to United, I believe that game was 20-8 to 8 or maybe 20-12 to 12 in the Appalachian Bowl at Point Stadium. They came back the next week and won 13 to nothing to win the District 5 title over Shade. That's in 1987. And I believe they opened the season with a shutout, so at yeah, least eight I mean, shutouts. It was crazy, uh, it, you know, and that was before uh, we were talking earlier. 1988 is when the state playoffs began. So whenever they beat Shade for the District 5 Class A title, that was it. The season ended. As good as you were, you are 11-1, season done. Yeah. This is why you have a lot of teams claiming mythical state titles because there was no state tournament until 1988. And even then, it took a few years until it got, became the, the Goliath that we know today. Exactly. Because there were years in the early – in the early runs of those tournaments where you could win a district title, that didn't mean you were qualifying for the state tournament. Yeah, I remember teams that have two losses. You thought, oh, it's over. We have two losses. Yeah. We're not going to get in, you know, for uh, for even the districts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like teams would get, like, pointed out. Like, it, I, it was it was tough. I, I think it was, like, 92 or 93 when they started to open it up a little bit more. And now you have it, – it's a little staggering now because, like, you look at, like – say, the District 6 championship in single A, and that's technically a state playoff game. And, like, in other cases, like, you just have, like, pure, like, 8 or 16 team. Uh, So, it's better. I I think it's better to get more people and more teams involved um, than, you know, winning a district title and just saying, okay, hey, that's it. Sorry, can't go any further. Yeah. Uh, Just my opinion. Let's move on. Um We'll look real fast at kind of conference standings and playoff pushes. Uh, we'll start in District 7. We have one team in AA, Mount Saliginer Valley, currently third place in the Allegheny Conference behind Steel Valley and Sarah Catholic. Uh, Ligonier Valley 2-1 and one in the conference. And there, the Rams are in a pretty okay spot because the top five teams in the Allegheny and the Midwestern will qualify for the playoffs. So that, like, if you finish in the top five out of eight teams in the Allegheny Conference, you move on. And I think 
your toughest competition. You, they've already played Steel Valley. They still have Sarah Catholic to play. But I think Burl is going to produce an interesting game for them this week. But after that, they've already beaten Apollo Ridge and Yawk. And they've got Derry and Amani Christian still to go. Both Derry and Amani Christian without a win in the conference. And heck, right now, Derry area doesn't have a win at all. Amani Christian at least has two. So things are looking okay for Ligonier Valley to get into the postseason again. They reached the postseason last year. Uh, a second straight trip seems to be in the cards for the Rams. Yeah, they're heading to Burrow, which uh, probably will be a tough game because they're Burrow's 5-1, and one, um, you know, another road game. But what Ligonier has done, we, we've mentioned it multiple times over the weeks with uh, Coach Roger Bidel and his staff, they just uh, continue to produce – and move forward with uh, a winning record. They're four and two now, and we expect to see some more on the winning side with them. In single A in District Five, we talked about Northern Bedford. Right now, the only undefeated team in Class A. They're at six and zero. Oh. Uh, Winbur and Conwell Township each at five and one. But right now, Winbur has a little bit of a points edge on Conwell Township, and then Tussie Mountain sits at two and four. North Star is also at two and four, but they're a point behind. Tussie Mountain as to how they're ranked in District 5. And then Myersdale, 1-4, has 7 points. So maybe not Myersdale's year to sneak into the playoffs. But North Star still has a shot. But they've got a very tough draw in Berlin Brothers Valley this coming week. Now moving on to Class 2A, the combined playoff with District 8. Westinghouse right now is 5-0, uh, currently atop the, atop the uh, rankings. Then you've got Berlin Brothers Valley at 6-0. Uh, they have the same number of points, but again, because Westinghouse has only played five games, Westinghouse has a higher average, and that's why Westinghouse would be the top seed. Then you have Chestnut Ridge and Bedford. Right now, Chestnut Ridge, a couple points ahead of Bedford, 43-40, to um, but still a lot of football to be played, so this could jumble itself up immensely between now and then. Then you have Perry Traditional Academy and Everett, 2-4, and 0-6, oh respectively. I think right now you could probably say it's not going to happen for either the Commodores or the Warriors. Yeah, I think you know one of the teams talking to uh, you know especially Doug Paul has mentioned a couple times how good uh, Bedford and uh, Westinghouse is. I saw Westinghouse last year when they when they beat Wimber. Uh, it was at Somerset in the sub regional title game, and that was a game Wimber had a couple touchdown lead, and. They, and uh, Westinghouse got close, then Wimber got another touchdown to make it a double touchdown lead again, and then just Westinghouse gutted it out. And you could see just the reaction on the sidelines and in the stands with their fans, and then what I read from Pittsburgh media the next day, that was such a huge moment for them and their league, the City League. Uh, like, they're back, okay? That was last year. And everything I've heard is they've just built on what they accomplished last year. And they, uh, you know, maybe, uh, you know, one of the teams definitely to, to look out for in, in that bracket there. So, you know, we've got some great teams in our area, but uh, you gotta you got to watch uh, the Westinghouse, what they did last year against a very, very good Wimber team. And as everybody remembers, Wimber almost won that game. A great kick, and it just sailed – a little bit to the right. I mean, it, was, it wasn't like when he's, oh, my goodness, bad, uh, terrible kick. I mean, it was right there. Everybody thought, you know, here's the game winner. It was going, it's going, and whoop. You know, I don't know if there was a gust of wind or whatever. But so 
it could have turned out the other way, but it, it was a Westinghouse. Yeah. yeah, that could happen. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it turned out to be a Westinghouse win, and it talking to their coach and just seeing how the players reacted, it seemed like it was a major moment for their program. And, and this is a program that goes back so far. If you look into the history of Pennsylvania high school football, you look at the all-time wins leaders. Westinghouse is there. You cannot deny Westinghouse's part in Pennsylvania football history. I mean, they're right up there with some of those programs that have been around since the 1800s, like even a greater Johnstown, um, you know, or Winber, which got its start in the early 1900s. You know, Ligonier Valley, though traditionally not strong through the years, at least in the past two decades, Ligonier Valley has made its mark. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Westinghouse, like, that, that is a program, like, I think I probably knew Westinghouse football growing up and watching, like, more Pittsburgh-based news stations than Johnstown-based news stations when I was growing up. Like, you'd get those, like, Friday afternoon games in the City League. You know, Westinghouse, Peabody, Perry, even South, you know, Oliver, and so on. Like, and, and while the numbers have shrank in the City League, you know, Westinghouse is still one of the standards. You know, Taylor Alderdice, too, can't. Can't forget Alderdice. But anyhow, I'm getting distracted. Uh, moving through into Class 4A and District 6. Juniata right now, 4-2. Belfont, 1-5. Greater Johnstown, 0-6. So if they're taking two teams out of 4A, it's there's still a mathematical possibility it's Greater Johnstown. But can the Trojans pick up two wins? And, I mean, there are some winnable games on that schedule, but can the Trojans pick up two wins? And that might be the difference if to jump Belfont and possibly get a date with Juniata. And even then, they don't have to take it. Like, you know, I don't know what the policy is on postseason play yeah. if they were to finish 2-8 and eight and just be the number two team in 4A. Yeah, it's uh, we've been hearing throughout the, the season, talking to different coaches, that they've seen improvement out of Greater Johnstown. And it's hard to think we're talking like this because just in 2016 and 2017, this is a program that was winning or contending for championships. So, um, you know, it's kind of odd to see this stretch that they're in now uh, with the long losing streak. But coaches have consistently said, like, we see improvement or they're going to have their wins down the road. It's just a matter of you got to have to get that break, capitalize on it, go through the whole way and win, win a game and maybe build on it. Um, with Coach Antoine Reed, he seems to – he has such a great attitude. You talk to him after every game, you think, man, this was such a tough loss or a one-sided loss. And he is always looking for the positive and saying, here's what we're going to learn from this. So you see some some progress there. You just uh, hope that um, the Trojans can take that next step and win a couple games and get their uh, – reestablish their footing. In 3A, Penn Cambria tops the list right now, 6-0. and Tyrone is 5-1. and Central is 4-2. and two. Uh, They had that rough stretch early in the season. They seem to have righted the ship somewhat. And then Somerset at 0-6. They would, I believe, take four teams out of 3A. But, again, if you finish 1-9, you 0-10, know, you can say, we don't want to go. And I think that might be – I think it was Somerset's play last year because I think Somerset could have gone in but didn't. Yeah. There was one year that I remember when, when Greater Johnstown was very, very good team and uh, – there was only them and Belfont, I think, and Belfont had one or two wins and didn't 
they opted not to go in the playoffs, so Johnstown didn't have a chance to win a district title. And they went into the sub-regional and lost. So there's a year you probably were a district champ that it didn't count. You know, So, like, I understand people not taking it, though, whenever you're way under 500. A lot of schools in the old days used to be if you were under 500, you didn't go. And now that's not the case. A lot of teams go in with four wins. In 2A, Richland is a top at 6-0. and If the playoffs were to begin this week, your eight teams coming out of 2A would be Richland, Penns Valley at 4-2, Bell Adanis also at 4-2, Bishop Guilfoyle Catholic at 4-2, do you sense a theme here? Mount Union, 4-2. So we have a garble in 2-5 to five here. You've got Bald Eagle area at 3-3, three and three, and then you have West Shemokin at 4-2. and two. But because they have a lower average point, they're behind Bald Eagle area right now, points per win, I should say. Uh, so, though I think that's going to correct itself. I think Washamokin would probably move up ahead. Southern Huntington and then Forest Hills this is one of the teams we were talking about a couple weeks ago when we, you know, we were looking at zero win teams and one win teams. You know, who could creep into the postseason? Forest Hills has two wins. They right now would be in the playoffs, but they would get Richland in the first round. And they've got a tough challenge this week. Uh, Bishop Guilfoyle at Forest Hills and the Marauders always tough at home or on the road. So, uh, you know, Forest Hill's going to have to really step up. United Valley, Central Cambria, Phillipsburg, Osceola, Huntington, Westmont Hilltop, and River Valley closing out that pack. But right now, Forest Hills will be the cutoff at 220 points, 90 points ahead of United Valley right now, which, again, two weeks ago picked up its first win. In single A, we talked about Penn's Manor. They are atop the single A Bracket right now, Cambria Heights is number two, Juniata Valley number three, Northern Cambria Portage all the way down to five. You've got Homer Center, West Branch, and Purchase Line. Purchase Line would be the cutoff right now at eight. Then you have McCork Carroll lingering 10 points behind Purchase Line. So you could see McCork Carroll sneaking into the postseason and talking to Tom Smith, and this was after a 35-0 loss to Forest Hills. He was already looking to what the team could do in the following week and beyond. And the one thing he said was, if we can get into the postseason, I think we're going to be dangerous. And that could very well be the case. Because I think they could present matchup issues for a number of teams in single A. If anything, just because there are teams in single A that aren't playing the teams that McCourt Carroll are playing. You know, all respect to these teams, you know, you're not playing a central. You're not playing Richland. You're, you know, and these are teams that McCourt Carroll have played. Uh, Glendale, Michigan Valley, Claysburg, Kimmel, Conwell Valley, and Marion Center rounding out the group in single A. Mike, you've got numbers. Yeah, the uh, the weekly stats. We'll just review a few. We mentioned some of these names already, but at the top of the rushing uh, through six weeks, you got John Schuster, Wimber, 99 carries, 1,239 rushing yards. Ethan Weber, who we mentioned before, with his three touchdowns and big day, uh, 63 carries for 846 yards. Zach Grove, Penn Camber, with his big night last week, 79 carries, 730 yards. Then Eli Dar, who had a big game against Claysburg on Saturday, he has 134 carries and 724 yards. Conwell Valley has played one fewer game. They've only got five games. And receiving, we mentioned Updike and his teammate Ethan Black, Number one and two with 628 and 520 yards receiving, respectively. Uh, the quarterbacks, Tanner Shirley, even though um, didn't have a completion last week before the injury, still at first, 12 
48 with passing yardage. Garrett Harold, uh, 1,183 passing yards in second, followed by North Stars Connor Yoder at 1,155 yards. Sam Penna went over 1,000 yards last week, and he now has 1,043. So uh, Schuster with 108 points, 18 touchdowns. Tanner Tribus of Cambria Heights, 100 points and 16 touchdowns. And Nick Prisnell of Chestnut Ridge, 16 touchdowns, 96 points. So that's uh, some of your offensive leaders and – on the defensive end, uh, we have Ty Stockley at Cambria Heights leading the way with 68 tackles. Cody Delman, Northern Cambria, with 66. Michael Shonko, Conwell Township, with 58. And sacks, we got uh, from Richland. Uh, he was at nine for, for a few weeks, but now Jordan Nichols is up to 12 sacks. Shonko of Township is with five. And Ethan Eller and North Star among a group of four players with four sacks. The others are Ben Janosko. Northern Cambria, Mason Monkern of Ligonier, and Billy Sugden of Ligonier Valley. And interceptions, McKinley Shear of Ligonier is four, and Tanner Shirley of Township has four. And, and there's one more game that I forgot to talk about in the Week 7 games, and that is Westmont Hilltop at Greater Johnstown. And it's going to be a game where I, I think the Trojans and I think many other teams around the area are going to be entering Friday with heavy hearts. And, Mike, I'll let you explain. Yeah, with uh, – Greater Johnstown, uh, earlier this week, uh, Tom McCreary, who's known as the voice of the Trojans, uh, died at age 60. He had had some uh, health challenges in, uh, you know, recent uh, months. But Tom uh, had been – people probably know him, uh, know him but don't know who he is because they've he- heard him so often. He has been the public address announcer at Trojan Stadium and at Doc Stofko Gymnasium. Uh, and other venues for Johnston High for at least, from everything I've talked to people, 25 years at least. Um, and the, the dock and Trojan Stadium are, have been around since, you know, about 2003. So he's been there probably since the beginning. So, um, you know, Tom is well known for that. And he also was uh, a statistician for the Trojans girls softball team, which had a lot of success for, uh, you know, many years in the 90s and 2000s. Uh, and he was very well liked by that team. And then Tom also uh, was known around Point Stadium. He was the uh, PA guy during the 2022 season for the Johnstown Collegiate Baseball League. And he ran the scoreboard, the new scoreboard at Sargent Stadium for that uh, JCBL league. Um, but uh, Tom, just a good guy. Uh, one of those guys, like I said, everybody you know knew him, uh, you know, f- seeing him around at uh, a lot of sporting events. He was just one of those guys you like to talk to people and – get nostalgic and took pride in knowing all the words and singing the uh, greater Johnstown alma mater often. So uh, rest in peace, Tom, you'll be missed. Just a big booming voice, a big presence. Um, I got to know Tom very early in my time at the Tribune Democrat. He was actually the uh, scorekeeper for Del Weld uh, back when Del Weld had a franchise in the junior league, the triple ABA league, JCBL, you know, whatever iteration it was at that time. And, you know, it, it was one of those things like Tom and I, I, I think sometimes we had differing opinions on how a play should be scored, but like we were always able to work, you know, work it through and come to an agreement. A lot of times, you know, I would defer to Tom because he might have been designated as the official scorer. But, you know, again, would always give you his time. Um, again, just big booming voice, big presence, and he, it's definitely a void in the area. Yeah, without a doubt. And you, you hit on something, too, there. He was one of those guys, win, lose, close game, blowout game. 
when it was those softball games, he called in. He knew his stuff every time he'd call in. You know, sometimes we got to coach people like, hey, no, it takes 10 minutes on what should be a two-minute call. Tom would do that score by inning, both teams do it in the right order, the batteries, everything, give you the highlights. Boom, you were off that phone with him in like two minutes. You know, he knew what he was doing, and he took pride in it, uh, called no matter what, uh, win or lose. And, you know, we often complain about that, like if teams lose and they don't call, Tom was never like that for the Trojan softball team. And there would be times where, if for whatever reason, he could not get a softball score to us uh, during his role as a softball scorekeeper that night for whatever reason. Like, we would have in our inbox the next day just a handwritten copy and just everything you would need and about 10 different things that you wouldn't need, but just nice to have anyway. Exactly. That's classic. I remember those. So, again, Tom will be missed. Um, for everybody who uh, has been a part of this episode of the TD Club, we thank you for listening. Uh, for Mike Mastovich at Masty81, I am Sean Curtis. Again, we thank you for listening to this episode of the TD Club.